not possible to take really just a linear approach to solving climate. We can't say that for buildings over their lifespan, that more than half of their impacts has historically been from the operating emissions. So let's solve operating emissions first and then move to embodied. There's not enough time to do things in a linear manner. I'm Therese Fitzgerald, Executive Editor at Commercial Property Executive. Welcome back to Sustainability Street, our podcast on the intersection of commercial real estate and the world we live in. 2020 was a year of hurricanes, wildfires, and extreme heat, as well as a global pandemic. And it was the year that embodied carbon's impact on the climate crisis finally became front and almost center in the United States. In my last episode, I explored the growing number of net zero carbon and net zero energy commitments. In this episode, I'm talking about embodied carbon, the kind that is generated from the manufacture, transportation, and installation of building materials. Let's get started. Not so long ago, embodied carbon was considered the blind spot of real estate sustainability efforts, or the elephant in the room when most stakeholders were solely focused on improving energy efficiency and finding renewable fuel sources for the built environment. But experts agree that last year was a year of awakening around embodied carbon. It's not that leaders in the AEC and real estate fields haven't been working on solutions to the carbon in materials. Last year, however, forces came together to create an external urgency that had not been seen before. First, the built environment is becoming more efficient and more climate-friendly in terms of its operations. Companies are using less energy, and they are tapping into non-fossil fuel energy sources. That turns a brighter spotlight on the carbon in building materials. According to Gensler's Impact by Design 2020, for an average office building, it takes 30 years for the operational carbon to catch up to the upfront carbon. In other words, for the first 30 years of an asset's life, most of its carbon actually got admitted during its construction. And once that carbon is in place, it's too late to do anything about it. I think awakening is a really good word for it because for so long, people in my position have really only been focusing on um, operational energy use. And all of a sudden we had this reckoning where actually the embodied carbon um, in our buildings or the upfront carbon, as some people say, dwarfs. Um, the operational carbon. So we've been focusing on a small piece of the puzzle, but we really need to tackle the biggest piece of the puzzle. Sarah Neff is Senior Vice President of Sustainability for Kilroy Realty Corp. I reached out to Kilroy because they've been a leader in sustainability on all fronts. In late December, the office and mixed-use real estate company became carbon neutral in operations on scope one and two emissions, one of the first real estate companies to do so. Now, Neff said, the company is focused on scope three emissions, which is embodied carbon of construction materials, as well as tenant emissions and, to a much lesser extent, things like employee commuting and distance traveled. Last year was also the start of a new decade, reminding building stakeholders that time is ticking on the pledges they made to align with the Paris Accord and all the climate-related calamities that happened last year. They were evidence that there is no time to waste. Here's Carbon Leadership Forum founder Kate Simonin. There's only 30 years between now and 2050. Right. And um, for most people, um, we hope to be alive at that point. 
For listeners who don't know, the Carbon Leadership Forum is a group of architects, engineers, manufacturers, building owners, and academics who came together 10 years ago to focus on eliminating the carbon impact of materials in construction. It is housed at the University of Washington, where Simonin is a professor and chair of the Department of Architecture. And we're seeing that it's not possible to take really just a linear approach to solving climate. We can't say that for buildings over their lifespan, that more than half of their impacts has historically been from the operating emissions. So let's solve operating emissions first and then move to embodied. There's not enough time to do things in a linear manner. The third and perhaps the biggest accelerant in education as well as movement on embodied carbon is the Embodied Carbon in Construction Calculator, or EC3. Released in late 2019, EC3 is a free, open-source database of digitized environmental product declarations, or EPDs. It enables real estate owners, designers, and contractors to measure the carbon footprints of their construction projects based on their materials and helps them select products that will allow them to reach their embodied carbon targets. To create EC3, Skanska USA, the construction company, came together with the Carbon Leadership Forum and other partners, including Sea Change Labs, Microsoft, and Interface. Many other companies and organizations joined to co-sponsor and or test the tool. Kirsten Ritchie is head of sustainability for Gensler, which helped pilot the program and has used it on a number of projects as part of its city's climate challenge, which commits the company to achieve carbon neutrality both in embodied carbon and operating carbon, in all of its work by 2030. Before, you know, if you think about a building and the thousands of materials that go into it, uh, tracking the carbon footprint of each one of those, right, and, and aligning it with the quantities they're using to, to, figure out, to you know, figure out the total footprint, it's a pretty arduous, time-consuming exercise. And um, it, EC3 has really made that a lot easier because they basically are pulling in all that data um, and it's, you know, it's a much quicker uh, way to, to find lower carbon materials, um, as well as the fact that it actually integrates with um, Revit, you know, which is our leading building information design platform. And, um, and so we're able to pull quantities directly from Revit right into, into the EC3 model to do rapid iteration of performance. Everyone I spoke to for this podcast agreed EC3 has been a game changer because it has simplified the process of lowering embodied carbon, but also because it is impacting the procurement stage of construction. Wes Sullins, a director in the lead department at the U.S. Green Building Council, who is focused on materials and resources, told me that in many respects, it is the manufacturers that are transforming the process around lowering embodied carbon. They haven't had quite as much of a place to play in maybe some of the other conversations about energy certainly low energy materials and, and windows and lights and things like that. But uh, when it comes to embodied carbon, you're seeing a lot of, of innovation happening from product manufacturers that are trying to get a hold of their, of their climate emissions from the life cycle, their products, and, and come up with some cool solutions. So that's, I think, a, a place where we see a lot of innovation and we're trying to reward it through our, our lead rating system. Last year, roughly a quarter billion square feet of real estate projects pursued lead credit for materials. EC3 is also evidence of the collaboration that is possible and required to aggressively address embodied carbon. Here's Simon in again. 
I'd say there's some challenges still in comparison, but we're, we're moving towards that point, um, is pretty impressive. We had the American Wood Council, the American Institute of Steel Construction, and the American Concrete um, Institute Foundation. So there's not very many um, times when you have those three industries supporting an initiative. We had, um, oh, now we have over 50 um, organizations from, from owners like Microsoft to um, uh, uh, structural engineers, architects, um, um, uh, building material manufacturers all coming together to support the development of this tool, which means that um, now uh, I think it's over 10,000 registered users who can go into the tool and it's uh, sort to find what materials are available um, in their region uh, on, uh, for a specific project. Further, Simon N. said, as the data builds, it has the ability to enable policy. More on policy a little later in the podcast. After learning about EC3, I wanted to get a real-life example of how the tool is helping reduce embodied carbon. Perkins and Will, an EC3 co-sponsor, told me about how they tested EC3 on a mass timber office campus building project. Here is how they describe the experience. Primera Blue Cross commissioned Perkins and Will to design a 40,000 square foot amenities building at its 40 acre wooded campus in Montlake Terrace, Washington. The new building will serve as a hub for five existing buildings. Marcel Daronlo is Primera's in-house campus renewal design and construction manager. This building that we're discussing um, is going to be uh, referred to as the Denali building is a ground up initiative from for Primera. They uh, have part of their corporate philosophy is to be uh, a good steward environmentally uh, in the community as well. And they wanted a sustainable, renewable uh, building. And, uh, and that's how it's come about. They've uh, engaged Perkins and Will to do this project for us. It's a uh, mass timber building, precast concrete exterior, and, uh, and it has a lot of references to nature. But while mass timber seemed to be a natural fit, both for aesthetics and because wood is typically low in carbon, EC3 helped confirm that collectively there was a 26% reduction in the embodied carbon, which equates to 244,000 kilograms of carbon dioxide equivalent. Perkins and Will Associate Principal Devin Kleiner is the senior project architect. The main reduction in that is really focused on the, the mass timber structure of that. And it's sequestering carbon in the wood is one of the, okay. the main advantages of that. Mass timber, the structural system is a combination of cross-laminated timber, CLTs, and dowel-laminated timber, DLTs, turned out to be not just the lowest carbon alternative, but an economical one as well. Here's Perkins and Will Associate Principal and Project Manager, Gavin Smith. I think there was some uh, or a fair amount of, of analysis that went into kind of the comparison with conventional systems versus the mass timber. And because uh, we were able to eliminate a lot of the ceiling finishes, a lot of the, um, the fire protection, 
uh, it did pencil out. So I think I think that's that's kind of the end benefit of of, of doing the mass timber building is is you can get rid of some of the um, those systems. Besides the cost savings in finishes gained by exposing the mass timber, speed of construction also offset the cost of the wood. Within the wood industry, however, the architects told me, there is a wide range and wood does not automatically give you a low carbon structure. Perkins and Will also used the PEFC certification process, which ensures the wood is sustainably harvested and that the plant where it is processed is low carbon. The distance the wood has to travel is also considered. Further, using mass timber did create a couple of challenges. By not using a finished layer on top of the exposed wood, the cavities in which pipes and wires would typically be hidden were not available. The solution was to attach them to the side of the beams that were least prominent when you walk in the building. Also, the project used three or four types of mass timber and different manufacturers. A consistent look was created by whitewashing the wood. But while 2020 was a watershed year for embodied carbon in terms of consciousness raising and new tools, sources told me that the journey is really just beginning. There still needs to be more education on the topic, more EPDs for more product categories, more product innovation, and more widespread coordination between the network of building industry stakeholders. Change on those fronts is likely to come from the top down. Multinational users of real estate, for example, are driving global awareness and action on embodied carbon. Microsoft is perhaps the most ambitious U.S. corporation on the subject of carbon reduction. The company has pledged to be carbon negative, removing more carbon than it emits by 2030, and to remove all the carbon it has ever emitted by 2050. To help it and others reach their goals, Microsoft is investing globally in technologies, including EC3 and Climeworks, a Swiss startup that uses giant fans to suck carbon out of the air and bury it deep in the earth. Sounds pretty sci-fi, but carbon capture and sequestration is the next frontier for reducing embodied carbon in the built environment. Linesight is a development consultancy whose clients include major multinational firms in pharmaceuticals, financial services, and technology, as well as real estate. Lineside Associate Director John Fitzgerald said his clients care a lot about embodied carbon. As a result, his firm finds itself calling lead consultants into projects earlier than they have in the past. The consultants work with Lineside to determine the best strategies for achieving the client's sustainability goals. To reduce embodied carbon, those strategies include net zero deforestation and reviewing material packaging for impact and improvement. The clients we work with definitely in recent years are very knowledgeable about embodied carbon. Now they, I suppose they recognize that they're in the unique position to drive change in the entire supply chain. Uh, a lot of the, our clients would have put requirements on their suppliers to collect GHG emissions usage data, mm-hmm. and they require them to report their plans to reduce emissions or set targets for them. But Fitzgerald said coordination between stakeholders still varies from client to client, particularly on smaller and mid-sized projects. 
In the real estate developer community, REITs are top-level influencers on sustainability because they own large portfolios in all property types in key urban and suburban markets. Not all REITs have significant development pipelines, but REITs are focused on ESG, they're well-governed, and they operate with a transparency that private companies typically do not. Not only leading the way by doing the right thing, REITs are also leading the way by talking about these efforts, their goals, what they achieved, being accountable for these efforts and disclosing on them, at least on an annual basis. Fulia Kochak is Senior Vice President of ESG for NARIT. She confirmed that reducing embodied carbon has become a priority for an increasing number of NARIT members. The industry knows how to reduce embodied carbon, Kochak said. They just need to get together and do it. Uh, we have some ways to go, I think, especially in the U.S. You'll see that in other parts of the world, this, this embodied carbon is more of a common sense than, than possibly in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But I think it's happening here, too. And we can see a very uh, big momentum behind it. If everyone gets behind it and, and keeps pushing it, we, we can see a very quick turnaround. Kilroy, which is a re- was recently awarded a number of Nariat's Leader of Light Awards, The awards recognize companies for superior and sustained sustainability practices. The company won in the office category, as well as most innovative. Sarah Neff won the Leadership Personified Award. I asked Neff to tell me how Kilroy was addressing embodied carbon. Well, a couple of things. One is we have started using that tool, the EC3 tool, um, to benchmark the carbon emissions of our development assets. So we started that work in 2019, um, and we then got a sense on this one large project what the uh, carbon per square foot emissions are. Um, It was in the mid-70s, I think around 72 kilograms of carbon per square foot. Um, We then continued that work in 2020, um, getting a handle on you know, what is the baseline, basically. We also started doing training with all of our general contractors on how to use this tool, the EC3 tool, which was designed for GCs, for general contractors. Mm -hmm. And then we set targets. So in 2020, we uh, declared that we would achieve a 30% reduction in uh, embodied carbon by 2030 and a 50% by 2050 in our new construction projects. And so, and now we're in the process of training our GCs so that we can actually uh, meet those targets. When it comes to top-down leadership, jurisdictions and policymakers can have a tremendous effect on reducing embodied carbon. California, for example, has a buy clean law, while Washington state is considering a buy clean, buy fair bill, and New York state is expected to enact low embodied carbon concrete legislation this year. Policies like these, Simon and said, change the supply chain and inspire critical R&D. The United States is interesting because we have a mix of government-led and private-led action. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, over the last um, few years, we have been seeing significant action from cities and states, but also private um, corporations. Um, so in this case, in, in even owners of buildings and developers of buildings who are, are, are leading. Uh, but if we're really wanting to get to scale, we need um, some help in terms of um, advancing the standards, advancing um, advancing um, data, and advancing action. So, uh, uh, you know, if 
if you look at infrastructure investments or building investments, this is a prime opportunity to be um, investing in uh, the green technologies to help, help us meet those uh, Paris Climate Agreement goals. On the federal level, there have been a number of encouraging signs in the Biden administration's executive orders. In addition to rejoining the Paris Agreement, President Biden pledged to leverage the federal government's footprint and buying power to lead by example. Meanwhile, as the U.S. overhauls its infrastructure to create jobs and rebuild the economy, it is anticipated that the government will look to decarbonize its building process while buying American products. Here's Neff. The nice thing about low carbon materials is one of the things that makes something low carbon is where you shift it from. Um, and so I'm hoping that we see more incentives about low carbon materials produced in the United States. And obviously those incentives will then help those products become uh, cheaper, which will make it even easier to incorporate into our projects. Of course, using low carbon materials, both for building structures and interiors, are just two key ways to reduce embodied carbon. A third is adaptive reuse, whereby the developer leverages the carbon already in a structure. If, as predicted, the pandemic makes a number of properties obsolete in their current usages, we are likely to see that strategy pursued more this year. Leaders in the embodied carbon crusade, like Gensler's Ritchie, hope that is the case. We really are trying to encourage a lot for folks to be looking at adaptively reusing existing buildings. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, the, the whole idea, like, for example, all these old shopping malls that we have in the, in the United States mm. that are kind of getting abandoned and how they can be converted to creative mixed use office, residential, retail hubs, um, you know, kind of new little town centers. And we actually just finished doing a study for such a project of that in Southern California. And we, had, we found that the embodied carbon savings um, by adaptively reusing that building was over 35%. Wow. Um, and could even get up to 50%. As the momentum around embodied carbon increases, CPE will be watching and writing about sustainable projects, new technologies, and policy initiatives. Thanks so much for joining me, and I will meet you next time on Sustainability Street. Please feel free to email me with feedback or topic suggestions at therese.fitzgerald at cpe-mhn.com. Bye for now.